This episode was made possible by our incredible patrons. Their faithful support allows us to continue the work of amplifying the voices of spiritual abuse survivors. We are a small team composed of two families. We committed early on to not monetizing any of the stories, so we rely solely on the donations of our Patreon community to operate. If you value the work and are able to contribute, you can join for as little as $5 a month. Another way to support Bodies Behind the Bus is by following, rating, and reviewing the podcast. It only takes a moment, but has a tremendous impact on our reach. Thank you for daring to listen. Before we begin, we want to make the listener aware that this episode contains adult content related to suicide. If you are struggling with suicidal thoughts, you can place a free and confidential call to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. We've linked the number in our bio. You are worthy of fighting for, and you are loved. This week, we hear a little bit of Jay's story and talk about the impact of how churches talk about mental health from the pulpit. This is intended to be the start of a much larger conversation. Before we hop in, I personally want to say how proud I am of Jay. As his friend, I am heartbroken for his experience and I'm in awe of his courage to tell this part of his own story. It is my great honor to host this podcast with him and to help share his story. For Jay Coyle, I'm Jonna Harris, and this is At the Bus Stop by the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. Hello, Jay. Today, we're going to like dive a little bit into some of your own story just little a little bit. glimpse into it how are you feeling about that i've told my story enough to <laughs> enough people that i can tell parts of it <laughs> i'm super excited for this we've been like contemplating how to get yeah. parts of your story into this space and i think this is a really helpful beautiful way to kind of bring our listeners in a little bit more and get to know you as a person a little more and your past and what brought you to hosting a podcast that really talks a lot about all sorts, all sorts of, of yes. stuff, you know? <laughs> With that, Jay and I have a couple storytellers coming up in the near future that have different encounters with the church surrounding mental health and depression and anxiety. We kind of get a glimpse into how their churches handled a diagnosis like mm. depression or anxiety and what that actually looked like in real time for them. It's not pretty. <laughs> it wasn't great, to say the least. And so Jay and I were kind of trying to figure out, like, what would be a really great topic for this community to get a small episode on that can set us up to be ready to hear those stories? And we thought, why not talk a little bit about how the church handles depression, anxiety, mental health, disorders or even just like run-of-the-mill things when it has to do with medication. So I threw that out on Twitter to see like, is this something that's just like me and Jay are thinking about it? Is this something where it's just like every once in a while we have a storyteller that struggles with this? And the responses were horrifying <laughs> and so, so heartbreaking. Ranged from, you know, people like not taking medication that they needed, like inhalers during asthma attacks or being kept from that, 
to being kept from getting um, appointments with real mental health professionals like therapists and getting treatment plans for like severe depression or anxiety or even suicidal ideation. So with that, it's an issue. It's a big problem in the church today. And we wanted to kind of walk through a little bit of Jay's own journey with the church and mental health and the stigma around taking medication or getting help from a therapist. So I'm going to interview Jay today. I'm <laughs> prepared for all of you the ready? answers. <laughs> so I think what would be so helpful to start us off, Jay, is a little bit of your own story with mental health. Like, how did you, what would you say, like, when did struggles start for you? And when did you start even realizing something was maybe off? Or was that something you didn't even realize until you were out of like a high control religious environment? Give us a little peek into that. Yeah. So I, first I will say that, you know, I've been working, I'm 42 and I've probably been working through my story for at least 20 years. And I would say over the last um, probably five to seven years, it's been extensive work uh, on my story through counseling, uh, through sharing, uh, through self-discovery, uh, through medication. So there's been a lot of steps. So I, I by no means am saying that, you know, I'm done with my story by any means. But I do want to say that, you know, my story has been something I've been working for. But, you know, my story really goes back as early as I can remember where I began to think that something wasn't right in my life, probably around the time that I was, I would say probably about seven or eight. For context of my story, I moved around a lot. My, my parents weren't in the military. I, but before, I think, I think before I was in, I want to say high school, I had moved like 12 times wow. in different states. One year I went to one year, literally, I went to three schools. I started, it was my first, I was in first grade. I started in one school midway through the year. I went to another school. And then when that school year ended, I moved to another state. So I was in three states uh, between first and second grade. It was around that time, around first grade, when I just began to have these types of phobias or fears um, or even like rituals for like leaving a room or um, going outside or going to bed that, you know, at the time were kind of excused away by those around me is like, like, oh, those are funny. Those are strange. But now looking back, it was my body's way of like working through some stuff that was going on in my home uh, that was traumatic. And I didn't really have anything to do with it or what, what to name it or do anything with it. And I was working it out with these like odd rituals. Like I would and I say this because it's humorous, but when I would leave a room, I'd literally have to like flip the light on and off like five times and like do this weird like jump before I left the room. Aww. And I did this every single time. And like you think as a kid, like you don't know why in the world you're doing that. Yeah. But but I had to do it. Like it was this thing that I was like, I got to do it. And now looking back, it was like a it was like a coping mechanism it's like it was almost like I was trying to make my body safe. And uh, mm -hmm. so that I think that was like looking back, that's when I really started to realize like, you know, now that there was my body and my mind were trying to say like, hey, something's not right here. And in my story, there, there's a lot of the same thing. It's loneliness, depression, uh, suicidal thoughts, a lot of anger, a lot of just um, what I would say is like I had a lot of gifts and talents that were 
consumed by other people for their own benefit. Basically, they used me for things to get essentially something out of their life, right? So I had these, as a kid, I had these gifts and talents and those things were consumed and it were consumed in a harmful way to where it kind of left me feeling like I didn't have any worth or value. Mm -hmm. So um, where all of that kind of really started to really materialize in a way that, that I thought, looking back, where I realized now was serious was when I was around, I think it was around 12 or 13. Mm. This time I was in, right before I entered middle school, it was, I was in middle school. And I, I remember this shift like it was yesterday. I went from being like a kid that was um, pretty active with friends, pretty active in school, uh, enjoyed myself to like overnight, like just not having any friends, like not wanting to have friends, super depressed, super scared of like everything in the world, like scared to leave my house, just these feelings of just like anxiety and unworth that uh, just overtook me. Around this time, there was a shift in my family to where we we kind of didn't really go to church much um, growing up because we moved so much. And then around this time, we got we got involved at like a, a local SBC church. And uh, my mom uh, was very involved. We started going on a regular basis. And I started getting introduced to like uh, Sunday school and, you know, youth group and all of that stuff. And this is like my entry point into like understanding Christianity. Like I didn't really have much of a understanding of it prior to that. Like my house was very outwardly conservative, mm -hmm. but behind the scenes, let's just say it wasn't. And um, not to go into too much of my story, but the trauma that happened to me was happening to me in my house. Mm -hmm. And so it was not, and, and it wasn't physical trauma. I just want to get that out there. But there was a lot of stuff verbally, emotionally, mentally that was going on uh, and things that happened in my life, things that I found that like kind of led me to a place of feeling of not only unworth, but just like used. That's the best mm -hmm. way to say it. Around this time, like we were starting to go this to to church, but yet there was stuff going on in my house and outside of my house where I was like, yeah, this didn't really add up to like church going values. So there was a lot of confusion as a as a preteen with that, anyways. Uh, but you know, I kind of bought into it. This is where I started to you know be introduced to a very I would say rigid gospel. You know, what I remember about my time at the SPC church was was a lot of programs, but a lot of hell, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of hell and damnation, mm -hmm. a lot about altar calls and repenting of your sins. The rapture. And at this time, oh yeah, the rapture was huge. Mm -hmm. I, I am, I am terrified. I was terrified of the rapture. I have a funny story about the rapture that I can tell later. <laughs> but um, so I was, and and when all this was happening, as I was kind of understanding, getting to know Jesus, or I guess learning about Jesus, I was also going through this time where I was my I was shifting to where I was super depressed, and I was feeling a lot of unworth on my own life. Mm -hmm. uh, I would come home from school, I would have like no friends, mm -hmm. I, I would do like nothing. I literally remember like just being in my living room completely by myself, just like trying to entertain myself after school. And it was just a really weird time for me where 
I, I didn't know I didn't know what to think or believe. So did you think you could like name that you were depressed then? Because you're so young. No, I thought like I, I thought something was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And part of that was the way that my house kind of worked. It was a it was a it was a rigid house, but it was also a like the rules kind of changed. Mm-hmm. My dad was absent a lot. He um, would traveled a lot, and this time he really started to travel. And I didn't, I didn't have really any relationship with him. I had a, I had a minimal relationship with him. We're about talking about like sports and things like that, but it was past that. It wasn't much of anything. Uh, and then I had a, a very interesting relationship with my mom because of that absence of my father where I was kind of like a confidant for her at times. And my mom and dad have their own stories yeah. and I respect that and I want to be respectful of their stories. But the dynamic in our house would be, you know, the you have a dad that would set the rules that were inconsistent with how he was living his life. You would He'd then leave. You'd have a mom who would not only try to enforce those rules, but also try to have a relationship with you that was one that she had emotional and needs that she needed. And it was just a weird dynamic that was, in my opinion, was, well, not in my opinion, it was super hurtful. And so there was a lot of things going on in my life where my emotions were they were just like a mess. Yeah. It was like I was just like in this like whirlwind of like feelings and I didn't have really anywhere to go with them. Yeah. And I didn't have the type of dialogue with my parents that I could talk about these things because one, they wouldn't believe them. And two, um, it would all kind of be put back on like behavioral things. Like mm-hmm. you need to just change this or you need to you know, listen more or you need to respect the fact that you have a house and food and all of that. So mm-hmm. it was a, so I don't think I was able to name it. So I was left kind of with my own thoughts on that right. about how to process, process what I was feeling. And at the time, too, you know, you're 12, 13, you're going into puberty. So you're having all these thoughts, too, that are new. So your body's changing. Hormones are raging. Hormones, yeah. And as a guy, like, that complicates things, too, because you don't know what to do with those feelings. Mm -hmm. uh, And you don't do it to those emotions. So the church kind of entered that space for me. I began to, like, really, I don't want to say buy in to what the pastor was saying, but it almost kind of a the way I approached it was like, there's no way in hell that I'm ever going to be able to be this good. Like, I'm not going to be able to follow these rules and these beliefs because I feel horrible. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I feel, at the time, I didn't know what to say it, but I'm depressed. I'm lonely. I'm anxious. I'm mad at my parents, even though I didn't know I was mad at my parents at the time. You know, I have all these weird rules in my house that don't make sense, but my, but then my dad leaves and I don't know what the hell he's doing. And then I have this dynamic with my mom that's unhealthy. And then my dad comes back and the rules change. And there's all of these things going on. There's all of this tension in my house. And th- there's nothing, there's nowhere for this tension to go. What I began to do was like internalize the fact that essentially something must be wrong with me. If this is what it takes to be a Christian, if what I'm hearing from the pastor, this is what it takes to be a Christian, something's got to be wrong with me. And it became another, I guess, place for me to be afraid and fearful. And it played into my anxiety and into my worry and depression. 
So I remember vividly being in church, praying to God, like, God, if you can save me, like, just show me a sign. Because, like, I don't think you can save me. Like, I don't think I'm worth being saved. And, like, there would be, like, nothing. There would be, you know, I would just leave and be, like, like I'm not, I'm not worth saving. Like, in the midst of all of this, like, I started to have, like, super horrible nightmares uh, that I don't remember that I would, like, run down the hallways and, like, my parents would have to, like, tackle me uh, and I'd be screaming things out. I don't remember them at all. My sister does. But I don't. And that's kind of when my parents kind of stepped in. And I may have this backwards because a lot of that stuff I'm still trying to flush out. But eventually my parents did like sit down with me and like they made me pray the prayer, <laughs> the prayer of confession for Christianity, like the oh like you want to be a Christian. And that could have been before or during this. It was somewhere in that timeline when I did. And, and this is just part of the trauma, like from about like 10 to about like 13, my timeline gets really... It, it all kind of goes together and I'm yeah. still like trying to have, like trying to figure out where things fit into it um, because there's some real traumatic events from 10 to 13 where I can't place them, but I know what happened. And then that also is from about like six to about like nine. There's other yeah. things where I'm like, I can place, I can, I know what happened, but I can't figure them out yeah. in the timeline. But somewhere along the line, I also got like the, the like, you know, prayer, the, pray the prayer, and then I got baptized too. Like that was that was the answer. But that that almost like made it feel worse in a yeah. way. Because now I'm like, I, I prayed the prayer, I was baptized, I still feel so bad inside. I can't I can't properly name what I'm feeling, but I just every day it's like getting worse yeah. inside of me. When I started having nightmares, and nighttime is and I've written something about this. Nighttime for me is 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 traumatic, but it's also very healing because as I've gotten older, it's been a healing thing for me. But both matter in my story because I still to this day, like nights have both places in my heart. But at night, I would begin trying to like search through the Bible to basically find like scriptures to figure out like why I felt this way. Like, you know, how can I find my answers um, in this Bible, in this book. Because yeah. that's also what I was hearing too as a kid. Like, this is where all the answers are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like what I found was more fear, mm -hmm. more uh, anxiety. Like, it, I convinced myself that I was possessed yeah. by a demon. I mean, a lot of people think that about people who have depression or anxiety. So I had convinced myself, I was like, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm depressed. Like, like, I mean, I'm, I'm possessed by a yeah. demon. So, like, I, I couldn't read, like I kept going back to the Bible because I was trying to prevent myself. My body knew, like I'd wake up and they'd be like, you had another nightmare. And my body like remembered the nightmares. Like I, like I felt them and I can still feel them in my body now that I'm talking about them. Like I can feel them in my chest. Yeah. I can feel them in my stomach. So like my body still remembers whatever that was. And I still think that was an unprocessed traumatic event based on the things that I was saying in the nightmare. Yeah. Um, I still think it is. I just, you know, I don't know if my body's going to hidden somewhere. Let me yeah. remember that. Yeah. I don't know if it's ever going to let me remember it. And, you know, so I would go to bed, like reading the Bible and I'd be like, I think I'm possessed. I, I don't know what to do. That season probably continued for about six to eight months, um, where I was maybe even longer, 
where I was just in that cycle. And it, 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 it basically ended or didn't end, but the somewhere in that story, I, I start started thinking about suicide and I, you know, at 13, I was 13 by then I was 12 or 13. I didn't know anything about suicide. I don't even know how I thought of that at the time. This was in the early nineties. I wasn't really into music. I really wasn't into like much of anything at this time. So I don't know where I got that from, but it did end, well, it didn't end, but it eventually I would, I ended up in the kitchen, I pulled out a knife. I mean, luckily it was like a butter knife or something, but mm-hmm. I was just thinking like, what am I going to do with this? Like, is this, is this going to be my end right here? And I didn't do anything. I put it back, but that still stayed with me because that was something that at the time, what I realized was it was a way for me to escape everything that I was feeling. It was like, this is an escape for me if I just mm-hmm. end it. And I think like why I say that is because like, like that's how serious it was. Mm-hmm. And like, I had no one around me who noticed what the hell was going on in my life yeah. to just ask a question like, how are you doing? Like I was doing things that were odd for kids my age. Like I'd go in the garage for hours by myself mm-hmm. and just, we had these cats and I'd, and I'd sit with the cats. I'm not kidding. Like I know yeah. John is like half laughing, crying. Like I would do that. Like I'd have yeah. friends that I would not talk to anymore. It's so strange hearing you talk about this because you're such a likable person. I've only known you as an adult, but like I can't like imagining like little Jay. It just doesn't even make sense with like the person I know you to be. Yeah. And that's yeah. where I'm like, so nobody noticed that like you weren't you. Yeah. And I wasn't like, I, I would do like strange things, um, like come home from my school and like, like take off. Like I get down to like my, like shorts, just wearing yeah. shorts. Like it would be the winter. I'd have no clothes on yeah, except for shorts. And the reason I did that is because I just wanted to feel something. Like I yeah. just wanted to feel the cold weather, like on my skin. Like that's how like numb I was screaming for, yeah, like I was yeah. so numb. And so, um, you know, what happened next was, was in a way, like I think what saved me, because I think if I had stayed there, I, I think I would have probably ended up doing something. I don't know what I would have done. I, I don't want to think about it that way, but yeah. I, I was in a really bad spot. But we ended up moving again, and uh-huh. that move kind of shifted my, essentially my, um, I guess, not trajectory, but my focus. We moved out of state. We stopped really going to church again. And I, at this time, I was, I was, you know, 13 still. I uh, didn't have any friends, uh, but uh, I started to kind of get into music and just liking music. And that was kind of like kind of eye-opening for me. It was my first mm-hmm. kind of thing to be like, wow, I really like this. This is something that's kind of different. Part of for me for music is I associate a lot with the lyrics and like, I think music is such an art, but it's also poetry that it kind of helps us express words that we can't really say. Yeah. And so, I, you know, my sister who, we didn't have a really close relationship growing up, but she was, she hated this move. She was in high school. And I just asked her one day, because she was really involved in like the youth group and church and our, at where we moved from. And I asked her, I was like, like, how, like, how do you know, like, you're, like, you're a Christian? And like, she just made it like very simple for me. And she was like, this is how you know you're Christian. Or she was like, you just do this. Like you just believe in Jesus. You love Jesus. 
blah, blah, blah. It was so simple for me that like, I remember being like, that make like at that moment, it just made sense to me. Mm. So, you know, I just had a simple conversation with God. It, it wasn't anything complicated. And that's kind of where I felt like there was a release in my heart. Like yeah. to just be like, okay, I can, I can take a little rest now. Yeah. And my story was far from un- me uncovering, you know, what was going on. But that was really where the moment where I kind of, I finally felt a, some peace. Right. You know, the, the nightmares stopped. I, I actually had uh, several dreams that were like, that I remember to this day that were like kind of healing dreams in my heart about what w- what had happened in my, ch- you know, what was happening in my childhood that at the time I didn't really know what they were, but they were very healing. And so I, I started to like, I started to like really get into God. Like I started to read the Bible. I wasn't reading it through a lens of like and the SBC. I was just reading it. I probably had like an NIV Bible back then. Uh, and as I started reading it, you know, I was trying to figure out like, we're not going to church really. I was like, how do I like learn more about God? Right. Mm-hmm. So enter, uh, Lifeway Christian stores or whatever your standard <laughs> Christian store is in the in the marketplace. And um, I don't even know if they I started to, exist anymore. I don't even they do in the right? south what, for sure. They're in the south, yeah. just not where we live. <laughs> One of the funniest things those stores used to do, because I'm really I'm really into music. I, I love it. But like when I when I was in like mid early nineties, late nineties, mid nineties is when I grew up and I was really in alternative music. So like I went through this weird phase of like only thinking I could listen to Christian music mm-hmm. and I would go to these Christian bookstores and they'd be like, if you like Nirvana, you know, <laughs> check out D- DC talk what? or if you like the smashing pumpkins, check out audio adrenaline. So I did all of that and those equivalents all suck. So <laughs> that does not work out. <laughs> so, but so I started consuming like now what I look at it, a lot of problematic, um, guys like they were writing books and um but at the time like it was just like it was like i couldn't get enough of them i was starting to put a lot of like christianese language in my life i wasn't really digging in my spotty my my heart was still going through there was still a lot of stuff going on i mean we weren't even to the height of a lot of problems that were happening within the home yet i was putting a lot of like like you gotta believe more kind of language in front of me like like hebrews eleven six. Like, I love the verse, but it was like out of context when I was a kid. And it like, and this is the kind of stuff that I was reading. And it like really, honest to God, it like screwed me up. It said, uh, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So I, I was doing a lot of those devotionals where you take those like one little liners and you read it. And then yeah. I was trying to like apply it to my life. And, you know, initially when I was, 14, 15, really like 14, like it worked. Um, You know, I felt good and uh, I ended up being like, this is awesome, like on fire for God, you know, Christian t-shirts, Christian bracelets, the whole night, still not really going to church, but the whole nine yards. No, no real like older people to counsel me, which I don't even know if back then if that would have mattered. Kind of where I want to get to, and I think we could probably stop there and then, and then, you know, I'd love to talk more about my story in the future, but you know, what would happen in the years to come is teenage years into my early 20s, I, I would, my story would start to come out of my body mm-hmm. and in ways that I couldn't deny that there was trauma. Yeah. And 
I had, I did not have, and I, I was, and this time I'd started going to church. I was at a Christian school. I, I was at a Christian high school. So four years, I was in a Christian high school when I was, after I got married, my wife and I went to church often. So I was around, you know, whatever you want to say, the church system and Christianity. But everything that I read and everything that I was, when I was talking to people and how I was praying, like it was, it was like I was trying to pray away my story. It's like I was trying to quote scripture to just move past my story. And my body and my soul was telling me like, no, like stop. Like we have, we have to go down into this story. To, and I'm going to go with you, but we have to go down in this story. And I didn't have the language. I didn't have the understanding of how to do that. And everything that I read and every time that in my you know late teens, early 20s, up until probably like my, I would say, late 20s, early 30s, I didn't really have any type of community where that was even like a thing to kind of talk about. Yeah. It was weird. So, but again, my bo- my body is like just through life events and through challenges that I was facing in my personal life with my family. Uh, I get married during this time uh, and that wasn't a challenge, but even getting married, like there's things that you bring into the marriage that you didn't even know, you know, you had those things. Right. And well, you brought like all this unprocessed trauma. I brought a bunch of stuff. I brought the whole... <laughs> truckload of things and backed it up and said, I don't even know what to do with it. Can't even name it. There you but go. you're stuck with me. <laughs> but you're stuck with me because it's forever, <laughs> according to Matthew, whatever, right? So, th- so enter like my late 20s, and this is kind of how I'm viewing the world, is um, so a lot of like grace, like grace upon grace, a lot of like denial of like what your, like what your body's telling you inside what's happening is intense anxiety, intense depression. I mean, there were seasons of intense depression. Uh, 28 to 29 was some of the worst times of my life uh, for depression. Early 20s was was super depressed too. Just like season upon season of depression, loneliness, apathy, anger, lots of unprocessed anger. And all of this is like coming out in all these weird ways and then I'm trying to like, be like, repent. Like I've got to repent. I'm going to repent of these things and, and move on. I've got to pray my prayers. You know, let's go back into Romans. I'm failing here. I got to talk to some people. Let's quote scripture together. Let's pray together. And I'm not like, again, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. What I'm trying to say, at least for my story is it didn't do anything. It just basically made me feel worse because I wasn't able to really address what was really going in my life. I was trying to basically Christianize myself out of what was really happening. Oh, Jay, that's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Gosh, I just, I love you. And I hate that that's part of your story. I love who you are and the ways that you've overcome that and the ways that you as a person are able to like work through that now. But gosh, I wish I could change that part of your story for you. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. So I end up at the village, and I think this was probably like late 20. I went to the village. We weren't members, so 
you can't find a membership covenant with my name name signed on it. <laughs> so you can there. say whatever you want. So, yeah, I can say whatever I want. But I, we ended up at the village, and uh, there was a sermon there from a pastor. It wasn't it wasn't Matt Chandler. It was somebody else who who did a sermon about he he was on de- uh, medicine for depression, and he he went off his meds uh, because I don't remember why he said. I think it was either like a God thing, like he felt like God wanted him to, or something like that. Um, but the sermon was, you know, everybody was really receptive of it, but like, I left thinking like, Hey, that's like, I was totally confused by that because at the time I was start. this was probably like, I would say it's probably early thirties, like late, late twenties, early thirties. At the time I was starting to kind of, my story was really starting to break through me and I, I didn't know what to do with that because at, I didn't necessarily didn't know if medication was a bad thing then. I didn't have an opinion on one way or the other, but I thought it was weird. I thought it was mm-hmm. weird at the time. Now I think it's super dangerous that that sermon was even addressed from the pulpit. Yeah. So the reason why I wanted to share it, I, I want to talk about this, Jonna, is because now looking back on it, that to me, that type, and hearing from several storytellers, that might be more typical that pastors are doing that from the pulpit when it comes to depression and medicine, like praying in a way or, you know, looking to scripture to heal depression, anxiety, and trying to say Jesus is enough. When like, I think the beauty of Jesus, at least for me, is that Jesus is in the story with you. And that's the healing is that he comes in with you in the story and he just sits there and he allows you to just feel it. And he doesn't leave you. And like sometimes getting out of that place means that you have to rely on other people that are professionals to help you. And I think that's Jesus too. Like those are the hands and feet of Jesus, doctors, therapists, counselors. I wanted to talk about this because one, it's it's impacted me. And two, I think it's being weaponized in the pulpit Mm -hmm. and I don't like it. Yeah. It's worthwhile to have a discussion on this kind of stuff. Well, that was really vulnerable of you. And I'm really grateful to hear a little bit more of your story. I think that as I am I was seeing those responses come through on Twitter and as we've heard from storytellers and even hearing your story, and you know what? A through line in all of the stories we're hearing is a lot of times the church stepping into spaces that it shouldn't be stepping into. Like it doesn't stay in the lane where it's like good and healing and thriving. And it's like moving into this space where it can be the end all be all for everything. And like the church is not a therapist (laughs) and it's not a doctor. And so I guess what I would love for people to hear this story, hear stories like the ones that are coming up on the podcast. I don't think it's our next one, but I do know in the near future, we have a few. Hear those stories and realize like, every person's unique and every person's like struggles are unique and every person's mental health journey is unique. And that's for you and your like doctor and your therapist to figure out. And the church can be like an amazing support system for you, but they don't know what they don't know what you need as a patient. And so don't be afraid to go to the doctor or to seek outside help. That's not sin. That's like utilizing an amazing gift from God, in my opinion, that we have the science and we have the people that have been able to study this. And 
understand how to work through trauma with people and how to work through chemical imbalances and all the above, you know? So that's where I would love to see our listeners like leave with encouragement. I agree. Is there anything you want to say to people who maybe are relating to your story right now and realizing like they're still in that place? Yeah. So, here, and I, I do want to share my complete story at another time because it's, it's just, I need to work on getting it pared down. But what I would say is that those that are in similar situations, like if you're in a situation where you feel similar to what I was talking about, you know, the biggest thing to do is to get help, is to find help and to not be ashamed to find help, whether it be through therapy, uh, whether it be through medication. That's number one is find help. There's no, and I went through a lot of shame in my life asking for help. It is, mm-hmm. it is something that I still struggle with. But luckily, I have people around me that love me and constantly tell me I need to get help when I'm not doing it. <laughs> so, but that's one. Two is to remember that Jesus loves you exactly how you are. He made you this way. He loves you. He is not wanting you to pray away parts of your life. Mm-hmm. He is wanting your entire story, your entire personhood right now. And that is freedom. You know, you, there are things that you're struggling with, that you're going through, that you don't need to be ashamed of, and he's not ashamed of them as well. Mm. And then, and the other thing is to listen to your body, because a lot of times your body is telling you things. They're telling you truths that have happened in your life, and you need to be aware of it. You know, one of the things for me is my, I've had a lot of stomach issues. It really wasn't until I realized that my stomach was really being like my stomach issues were being triggered by like anxiety that I really realized, hey, like I might need medicine and maybe it's temporary, maybe it's permanent, but Mm -hmm. it's every time I'm anxious, I'm having stomach issues. And so, you know, your body is telling you things to listen to your body. And then the biggest thing, be patient and love yourself. Like don't don't expect to be overnight healed. Like that's not that whole, like I am not a fan of the whole like pray it away crowd. Like it is a long road and there's a lot of beauty in it and there's a lot of hurt in it, but, but you gotta be patient. Like you have to be patient with yourself and love yourself, love yourself and give yourself some things to do that you look forward to. Take time to care for yourself. Yes. Thank you, Jay. And again, Jay and I are not therapists. I'm not a therapist. (laughs) If we haven't made that clear enough. But I do actually really think that's helpful because you've been through it and that's what's helped you. And I think it's beautiful. And it's not a crisis of faith to be in these places. Like It's not because you didn't believe enough or you're not good enough. And anything that tells you that is a lie from hell. It's not God. It, well, yeah, it's just, but it's also something we've made up. Like, is yeah, like it's a made up thing. So, and the other thing I would say is that don't, don't ever throw away your Christ, your secular music for Christian CDs. That's the worst. <laughs> Audio I've drone done is not taking the place it, of and that was pumpkins a, anytime. That soon. was a very bad idea. <laughs> you know what? I learned something new about you today. I have always thought you were an oldest child. Like you really do conduct yourself as an oldest child. And now knowing you're a middle child, I'm like making all these judgments about you (laughs) in my mind. Like what? Because you really do. You, you carry a lot as if you're, that's my role. 
I was a pe- yeah. I was the peacemaker. I was the person that had to put all of the chaos in order. So yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, Aaron and I both love you so much. Thank I you. know this was like so good for our listeners. I know it was. Um, and I'm I'm excited and hopeful that people will be able to see themselves in your story and see that they're not alone. And I also just feel like honored and grateful to get to to hear your story and bear witness to a little bit more of it and to put this podcast out with you <laughs> to the world and to the public realm. Whoever so, wants to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for being on this journey with me. Right. And You're I'm welcome. proud of you. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Uh, I'll read you something I wrote, Jonna, if you want, because I yeah. wrote this a while ago, um, kind of about my journey. It's called The Good News. I was taught to find God's love. I needed to hate myself, die to all that I am, kill the flesh to save the soul. So I did, but I did not find God. Instead, I found contempt, anger, loneliness, suicidal thoughts, exhaustion, and apathy. I struggle to find the words that can explain how much my soul hurt. If the path to finding love goes through my own self-hate, how is that the good news that I need to hear?